In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. And we had the way of the cross at three, the rosary with the sorrowful mysteries at four. And now here we get to uh, consider last things, the death and judgment and, and hell and heaven. Well, I think we can uh, put it in the right context because I guess we, we, we of course, we, we realize, yes, life will involve suffering and it's good. It's good that we consider the life of our Lord and the passion of our Lord and to the way of the cross is a beautiful devotion. And, and then, yes, on Fridays, we consider the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary and I say, wow, that can get a bit weighty. So um, you know, we thank our Lord for his expression of love through that suffering. And we want to correspond with, with the life of, of love ourselves. And that will come, yes, it does come at a, a certain cost, we could say, a certain price. Uh, to imitate Christ involves denying ourselves. And, and yeah, the old man in us, as St. Paul would say, um, in, order, in order to truly be free. I think this the whole thing of the last things, that we, someday we'll die, and we'll be judged. And yes, the, the possibility of, of hell is real. It's, it's, we aim for heaven. Freely, Lord, we want to use this life that you give us to aim for heaven. Jesus said, if you hold to my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a, perhaps a good way to look at life, at, at the fact that we'll die at some, some moment. And, uh, and yes, we will be judged because our actions do matter. We're made in the image and likeness of God. We have freedom. Some people will deny that, but we, we do have freedom. And yes, uh, we will be judged accordingly. Some people don't want to be judged at all, but if that were the case, uh, well, anything goes, right? Morality out the window in a certain sense. So it's good that we are held accountable but by God. We have in, in the letter to the Hebrews these, these, uh, these words in chapter 4. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that no one fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we must render an account. Words that might uh, instill a bit of fear in us. Well, let's look at fear in the right way then. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, fear of the Lord. Well, should we fear God? No, of course not. That's the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit of fear of the Lord is 
basically not wanting to offend this God who loves us so much. I'm afraid in that sense to, to, to offend love, to walk away from love. And yes, we have original sin. And yes, the devil, the world, the flesh tempt us. But we are, we are free. And, and we have this, uh, this opportunity to turn to God in each moment. We can, uh, the, the grace of the present moment. Yesterday is gone, tomorrow, who knows? But today, now, today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's the choice that I want to make. That's the freedom that I want to live, that God allows me to live, and he's helping me. He's... We started Lent, of course, back on Ash Wednesday, and then the very next day, the first reading in the Mass from the book of Deuteronomy. It can give us a certain context here, which God is asking of us. See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you're entering to take possession. You see, here's the way that the Lord is saying. This is scripture. This is God. If we believe in the Bible, if we believe it's the inspired word of God, and we have every reason to do so, we will study. It's reasonable to say, okay, I think God is speaking here. You're looking at the history of the Bible. Well, okay, if God is speaking to me, and he's saying this, I present before you life and good, or death and evil, what will I do? I do want to take possession of the land. I do want to get to heaven. That is the, the ultimate last thing, isn't it? But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you this day that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land which you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Freedom. How am I using my freedom? Choose life. It's a, God respects our freedom. And in any, any theological explanation of hell that we read, it's in a certain sense our own choice, right? It's, it's not that someone would choose to go to hell, but by misuse of our freedom, by seeking my own you know, pleasures or honors or power in, the wrong, in a sinful way, I, I'm choosing death in that, in that way. But the Lord says choose life. Follow me. And yes, some people will, will bristle a bit at hearing these words of commandments and statutes and ordinances. Welcome to life. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the real world. We, we, yes, life is demanding. And there are commandments that we have to follow and statutes and ordinances. And it's the, it's the commandment of love. It's, it's the Last Supper. That is within reach. That, that, that's the way. We shall love it. Well, of course, even before that, Deuteronomy, earlier than chapter 30 here, you, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. That's, that's the way. And then at the Last Supper, Jesus says, that there's no greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. So we do have a chance for heaven. Sinners that we are, but let's choose life. Let's, yes, indeed, follow the, the commandments of the Lord, which are commandments of love. When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He actually gives two answers, the first and the second, right? You shall love, he quotes Deuteronomy, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And the second commandment is this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbors. That's, that boils down, Pope Benedict XVI wrote about it beautifully in Jesus of Nazareth. Just get down to those two commandments and really try to live them. I remember being with a group of priests there, we were just having a get together or something, just chit chat, and one just randomly said, what's your favorite psalm? You know, I have 150 psalms, right? What's your favorite psalm? And this priest started something, oh, I like you know, Psalm 95. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't, I better think of something here. I don't have a favorite psalm, you know? <laughs> but one of the priests said, I just like Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's that's a good way to start the Psalms. Let's, let's prosper. There's images of life, of fruit, of, of streams, of water. But for that, let's, yes, meditate on the law of God day and night. And as commentators have said, that doesn't mean literally just pausing or staring at a nice image of God or of earth or something. Oh, I'm meditating on the law of God day and night. No, but no, the point is our everyday lives, just the way I live, the way I think, should be imbued with the laws of God. It's almost like second nature. So that when a situation does come up, well, if I have been meditating on the law of God day and night, if it's who I am, hopefully I will, with God's grace, rise to the occasion at that moment and love my neighbor as myself. And avoid that gossip that I'm tend, tempted to, to engage in or, or shoo away that critical spirit because I should because there's no charity in that, in that critical spirit that shouldn't be there. Or not read that article or not look at those pictures because I'm trying to meditate on the law of God, the law of love, day and night. And yes, of course, the temptations are there. We're flawed creatures. We're limited. We have original sin to deal with and our own personal sins. But God, God in his mercy, he's with us. God will help us. Our Blessed Mother will help us. That's... A few years ago at, at the Met Museum here in New York, they had an exhibition, I think it was called The Making of the Met. It was the 150th anniversary of the beginning of the Met, which is, I think, back in 1871. And they had some of the prime, the, 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 the masterpieces on, on display. You walk 
I'd walk through the exhibition. I remember one is, look how my beautiful bow relief of Our Lady holding the child Jesus called the Altman Madonna, donated by a, 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 a rich industrialist, I think, back at the turn of the century from Italy, 500 years old, beautiful. I mean, they call it the, the most beautiful bow relief in the, in the United States, they say. Anyway, there it was, and it was on the wall alone, it's, it's own wall there, and it's just, I gaze upon it for time on end. And then the, the painting right behind it, I can't remember who, who the artist was, but it was a painting of King David up on his patio. You can barely see him, he's, he's in the background, very dark. You see him there barely on, the, on his patio while his men are out at war, right? His men are out in battle, and he's back in his palace on his patio looking down upon Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, bathing with her maid. She's there bathing, perhaps with her maids. That's where the painting is depicted. Yet what was David thinking? What was he doing? His men are out in battle. He, he was making a choice. He, he was not choosing life in that moment. He, his lust got the better of him, and he sends a servant to go get this. He's a king. Bring her over here. And, and he laid with her. And then the trouble continues. This guy's got, you know, you probably know how the story goes. He, calls Uriah back from the front line to, to be around, to be, but he doesn't go to his home. He doesn't go to his wife because she's told David she's with child. And then David ends up basically killing Uriah, having it set up, having him set up, and he gets killed. I don't know, it just, it just struck me that the way that was set up, totally by chance, I'm sure, but... On one side, you have this beautiful image of Our Lady. The, the eye is drawn to that. Uh, we you gotta avoid what David, you know, you can't be like David looking back at Bathsheba, right? Indeed, choose life. We, we... So day by day by day, well, Lord, we want to live all the Psalms, and including Psalm 1, which is, is so beautiful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night, like a tree planted by streams of water. That's, that's the right place to be, the, in the heart of, of God, in, in the sacred heart of Jesus, in, in the loving gaze of our Blessed Mother Mary, and, and that manly way of St. Joseph helping us along. Some of you... I'm sure have heard this before, if you know Father Bob out there in New Jersey. But I think it is helpful as we make this retreat. These are words of a woman who made her own retreat and took down some notes afterward, or at the end of the retreat, after it looks like a pretty good examination of conscience. Here's how she described herself. And probably things that she's wanted, wanted to work on. She shared these, she shared these words, these, these ideas. I am consumed with self, 
I'm lazy. I procrastinate. I am vain. I worry constantly what others will think. I pigeonhole people into categories and don't let them out. I complain. I am resentful. I cheat when no one is watching. I build myself up by negative conversations. I lie. I hide from God. I cheat God. I am self-righteous. I condemn. I slander. I judge. I criticize. I mock, ridicule, and grumble. I lament, I seek self-pity and praise. I want from others what I will not give to others. I am rash with others. I run from mortification. I am controlling and manipulative. I take and I do not give. I harbor resentments and grudges. I do not accept others as Christ does. I fail to see Christ in the others. I persecute others. I do not let go. I supersede God and usurp his authority with my pride. I am selfish. I react instead of listen. I want the last word. I put down others to appear superior. I never publicly admit to being wrong. I yearn for recognition. I want center stage and control. I put off the hard thing and do the easy thing first. I'm attached. Well, there's a few of the things that she's dealing with, right? Maybe one or two of these resonate, maybe all of them. Well, good. Lord, here I am. I, I, Lord, I long to hear your voice, and I, I want to feel the purifying waters of your grace. I, I want to change. I want to move from the man I am to the man I ought to be. And God in his mercy is always there for us. This isn't a, a list that, that condemns any of us or her. Now it's a list of hope. She, you get the sense she's ready to go out and leave that retreat and, and, and go for it. I want to I'm gonna root these things out and give myself to the others and, and be patient with the others and, and merciful with the others and serve the others and serve God and take time to pray to God and do the hard things first. You get the sense there's a, hope, there's a certain hope in these words, but we got to recognize them. And then, yes, say, well, God... <laughs> I need you. I need you to help me to live this way, to live the way I ought. Now, a book called He Knows Not How, Growing in Freedom by a priest named Father Julio Dieguez. It's a book that helps people along with their spiritual direction. He talks about convictions. It's good for us to consider. What, what, what are my convictions? Do I have convictions? And when I break those convictions, what's going on? Why am I like David? Why am I like King David sometimes looking upon Bathsheba and, and calling for her? Convictions come in different sizes. 
Sometimes they reach the category of, quote, mother ideas in Spanish, ideas madres. Like, I think maybe our translation in English might be something like core values or the key ideas in my life. Key. Ones that sustain an entire life and are support in moments of greater difficulty. Such ideas would be, God has called me. I have a mission in life. Responding to that call and mission generously will fill my existence with happiness. God is our Father and always, no matter what, is at our side. It is important for all people to have these convictions engraved in their souls, taking advantage of their experience to do so. Many other convictions belong to this category. The importance of fraternity and common life, the need for constancy and a plan for the spiritual life in order to learn to depend on God for everything, the benefit of forming a rich interior world. Do I have convictions? And what are they? Lord, I come to do your will. I want to do your will. And like St. Paul, as he, again, as he writes to Timothy near the end of his life, I've, I've run the race, I've, I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith. That's, that's a conviction that St. Paul has. And so much so that all those difficulties that come along, and we all have our difficulties in life, so much so that, well, here's the way St. Paul writes about the things you know, that he had to deal with, the difficult things he had to deal with in Romans chapter 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's a supernatural outlook. That's a man with conviction. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's aiming for heaven. And as he's going along his journey, he, in other parts of his writings, he lists the, some of the challenges, the sufferings that he has, being shipwrecked, being whipped, being caned, being stoned, left half dead, I think outside of Lystra. I mean, he went through a lot, with thirst and hunger. He says, that, those, are not worth, those sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, St. Paul writes. God wants us. God loves us. God will help us. Yes, we're sinners, and yes, we're David. Look at David. Great, what a great figure in, in the history of salvation. Yes, he had, maybe we can relate to him because of his, of his faults. And here, God's saying, here is a man after my own heart. Wow, what a compliment. David. Yes, the adulteress and the murderer. The adulterer and the murderer, David. God loves him. Well, let's, let's walk the way of love and choose life. God sets before us a, the, the, the choices, right? I said before you, life and good, death and evil. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. 
loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and cleaving to him. For that means life to you and length of days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Indeed, God wants to give us heaven. He doesn't force us to go into heaven, but he wants to give us heaven. And this life on earth, so brief, sometimes we probably put too much conviction into the pleasures of this life, the important things of this life. And maybe we lose... We lose our bearings a bit. And we don't seek the things that are above at all. Yes, we should have our feet firmly planted on this earth. And yes, we, Lord, thank you for this earth. We want to take care of this earth and do our work well and help others and build big, good bridges and, and perform good operations to help people in this life, of course. But ultimately, we're aiming for heaven. The true hope is for heaven. And, and, and once again, we, we ask, we should ask ourselves, what, what are my convictions? What, what is my mission? I don't know, those of you who are married, that there's a part of it right there for sure. There's a big part of it right there. Your vocation to marriage, a beautiful vocation, a demanding vocation. St. Paul says, husbands, be like Christ, who died, basically, Christ died for his church. And all this again with, the, with God our Father with us all alone, helping us along the way. He's our, our loving Father. St. Josemir writes in the Forge, draw strength from your divine filiation. God is a Father, your Father, full of warmth and infinite love. Call him Father frequently and tell him when you're alone that you love him, that you love him very much, and that you feel proud and strong because you are his son. That's what, that's what God is asking of us. Be my son. I love you. I've, I've created you. Be my son. I'll help you. And, and, and when things are a bit more difficult, I love, I love you all the more. Just like that woman with that difficult situation, curled up on the floor. God loves her. God loves each one of us. I was impressed by this account of a, of a son. His father had died. Sergeant Shriver married into the... Sergeant Shriver married Eunice Kennedy, who married into the Kennedy family. And Sergeant Shriver died in 2011. One of his sons wrote a book about him, simply called A Good Man. And he recounts um, some words of one of the boys, Bobby, at the, at the funeral. I was 16 years old in 1970, and I got into serious trouble. I was arrested for smoking marijuana. A lot of police officers came to our house in Hyannisport and served arrest warrants on me, I'm sorry, on my cousin and me. Prior to that moment, I was a normal 16-year-old boy. I had my Beatles and Stones records. I was mad at my mother, who told me I couldn't go to Woodstock because I was too young. Of course, Woodstock is a gathering of nice, joyful people having coffee and throwing Frisbees and stuff. Just chilling out here in New York a little bit, uh, upstate. I had a crush on a neighborhood girl who never noticed me. 
I tried so hard to be cool, and I knew deep in my heart that I was not cool at all. I was very aware of the Kennedy family position and more than a little scared about it. Uncle Bobby had died in 1968 and Uncle Jack only five years before. I was terrified that others would be shot by some madman. I was a 16 year old kid. More than anything, I wanted to be a man so I could help. But I was a boy. So being arrested for drugs, witnessing the arrival of a thousand journalists at our door, it's hard to believe, but it's really true. And seeing the story on the front page of the New York Times, above the fold, was an enormous personal failure, a complete humiliation, public humiliation in all the obvious ways, private humiliation in a very deep way. I let my family down. I dishonored my father's name and my mother's name. In the house, before daddy arrived, the lawyers came and went. I, th I, think, his, I think his father, Sergeant Shriver, I think he was a diplomat, uh, maybe in France at the time, coming back. A barber arrived and cut my long, cool hair to a crew cut. Mommy supervised that. There were many disapproving looks, and it was a rough period. Then Daddy arrived and told me to come into his room. It was a very, very long walk to his room. He sat me down on the edge of his bed, pulled up a chair, looked me right in the eye and said, Listen, you are a good kid. Don't listen to anybody else. I'm your father, and I'm going to take care of you. Do you understand me? Yes, sir, I said. And that was it. No moralizing, no criticizing. I went back to my room and I knew I was safe. And so it was. Well, that's what that 16-year-old boy needed at that time. Yeah, maybe another father would have taken a different tact, knowing his son. Maybe another son would have benefited from the right act. Probably not, but maybe. But Clearly, this struck a chord in this son. Here is talking about it decades later, about that moment of mercy that his father showed him, that, 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 that love that his father showed. In fact, that's the title of this chapter of this book, A Good Father's Love. That's, that's God for us. He's, he's always looking at us. You're a good kid. I know who you are. Yeah, I know you smoke marijuana and figuratively or literally, and well, actually nowadays that'd be a, a brownie point if we're smoking marijuana, but you know, we get into trouble. We're, we can be David in his low moments, all of us. We should be surprised. We, we can all feel like this fellow, a personal, an, an enormous personal failure, a complete humiliation, public humiliation. And private humiliation in a deep way. Our sins should, I don't know, they should make us think. We can all arrive there. We've probably been there. We might go there again. And God, our Father, saying, So what? If you're humble, if you, if you trust me, 
If you come to, if you let me sit you down in, in this corner of my bed and let me talk to you, look in the eye and say, I'm going to take care of you. I love you. I want you to go forward. Your life is not over. There's a lot of good things to be done. Great. That, that's, that's God our Father. Thank you. Let's thank our Lord for that. And that's considering the last things, death and judgment and hell, the possibility of hell, and hopefully heaven will get to. God is our Father. He, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's, let's do our part. Let's, you know, let's man up and say, okay, here we go. I, I will try to make my Father God proud. That holy pride that St. Josemaria speaks of. Let's ask our Blessed Mother to help us along this wonderful path, this path of freedom. Choose life. Indeed. Mary, help us to choose life. Help us to uh, adhere, like that servant, those servants at the wedding at Cana, they do it. Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Mary, Mary helps. Who knows? Maybe the, the, the tone of her voice, the look in her eyes, that might have helped them to, well, I'm going to fill up these jars. That's a lot of work. They're heavy. No, Mary said, do whatever he tells you. She'll help us too. Let's listen to her voice and, and in that way arrive to the life that leads to everlasting life, the life that truly is the life of joy. Indeed, we have that opportunity every moment to realize this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me as meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.